0: Listen to me. Aliband! Let's do that hockey. Welcome everyone to Dauber Prospect Report. This is report number 28. I'm Victor Nuno, one of the co-hosts here. And with me, as always, is my good friend, Peter Harling. How are you doing, Pete? El Nuno. I'm doing good, man. I'm doing good. It's good to be back on the show. I got, uh, I got a gift
1: in the mail today. The McKeens hockey yearbook which i contributed a couple articles to i'm i'm old school i'm a throwback to i like having the print tangible magazine and this thing's thick it's got some meat to it so i was really happy to to get that magazine today and you know we we pump the tires on on our stuff a lot uh i think it's a good idea to to share the love a little bit so the mean keen does some some really great work and they've been around for a very long time Putting out great material. We had Gus on an episode not too long ago who really helped build that site to what it is. And uh it's just a great magazine. It's it's cool to to get it. And you know, you when you're an online writer and you finally see your an article of yours like in print, it's uh it's different. It's really neat. So uh, looking forward to that. And then at the same time I might be a little bit distracted because Connor Berdard's in Toronto. So I've got one eye on that as we record this tonight. How you doing, my man?
0: Connor Berdard, never I've heard of him who's who's that <laughs> ah, <he's a> bust. <laughs> That's one goal yeah man it's uh th- those makina articles are really great i i must say i've i've not had it, the long-standing affiliation as you've had but I, i've always enjoyed and got to look at the the draft guide when we were there and i've looked at some other stuff that they put out it's great stuff and, and yeah you've definitely been a contributor to that so that's fantastic and yeah i'm doing well definitely enjoying watching actual nhl games we got a little bit last week and kind of on the swing of things so yeah just getting back in that mode of setting all 20 plus lineups for all my teams each day which is fun and not at all exhausting so definitely enjoying
1: that do you have to set your alarm clock like an hour earlier for that so you have time (laughs) in the morning with your cup of joe to
0: set your Oscars? most of them are dynasty so they don't change that much Uh but definitely some of them, yeah, you're reacting, you know, to like what's happening, injuries and stuff like that. So, yeah, it's a constant thing, but it's also fun. That's why we do it, right? Absolutely. So, let's uh, talk about what we're going to do today. We're going to talk about some prospects that are on the bubble, some teams that maybe surprisingly made the opening night roster, but we need to know: are they going to stay? Are they going to stick around? So, we're going to give you our takes on that and kind of our general thoughts on them. Of course, let's do that. But before we get started, we want to remind you. The our Prospects Report is a member of the Hockey Podcast Network. We're very excited to be a part of the Army of Fantastic Hockey Podcasts. Please check out at Hockey for all the shows like this one, talking hockey from fantasy to team coverage to you name it. And you can use the DraftKings promo code THPN for listening to the show. More on that in a bit. And the DPR show is proudly presented by Fantrax. Fantrax the ultimate league manager for any dynasty sport you play. It's completely customizable for however you want to set up your league from custom scoring settings, which we have in the DPR listener leagues amazing draft room to host the show, to host the draft, and draft pick trading and treasury option. So much more. Use the promo code to sign up for a free league. Fantrax.com forward slash DPR show. Well, the NHL season opened up and we're a week into it. Hope you won your first head-to-head matchup in the DPR listener leagues. We extended them because it was a little bit of a short short first week. So in case anyone was wondering why it's still going. (laughs) Well, let's talk about this week's report and talk about the prospects that made the cut. I believe, Pete, you have the first one.
1: All right. So we're gonna go through a a list of some players we think are are noteworthy. And uh, what better way to do it than alphabetical order by team, right? Mixing it up a little bit. So let's start with the Anaheim Ducks. You got Leo Carlson. He's out with a foot injury, so jury's still out on him. Uh, so let's just let's just gloss over him. Let's go to Tristan Leno. Very interesting prospect here. I mean, the Ducks are flush on defense. And here's a guy who I think under a lot of people's radar uh, made made the team to open the season. He's only 12 percent fan tracks rostered. We had him ranked seventh on the Ducks depth chart when we did our Dauber Prospects organizational rankings. So we're going to be making some some reference to that throughout the episode on almost all these players. So if you're wondering where you can find this rankings, it's on the Dauber Prospects site. Um, just search around in the the main bar there, find the organizational rankings. It's really fantastic, and a lot of work went into that. So back to Leno. I digress. They got 8D on their roster right now. Eight guys made the cut. Three of them have waiver exception. Tristan Leno, Pavel Mentekeov, who are both 19, and Jackson Lacombe, who's 22. Interesting note, Owen Zellweger is not on this list. He did not. Make the cut and has been assigned to American Hockey. I believe he's pro ready now, right, Victor? I would say so. Yeah, pretty sure he is. So I think that's uh, an interesting omission, and we'll we'll talk about that in a little bit. Um, so back to Tristan Leno. He's a six foot two, one ninety two, right shot D. Uh, he scored twenty goals last year and eighty three points in sixty five games with Gatineau and. Of the competition that he's uh, competing with for the roster spot, Lacombe's 22. He can be assigned
0: uh,
1: to the American Hockey League. Zellweger may be recalled to the NHL as well as the season goes along here. But Leno and and Mintakev both have minor eligibility remaining. So this might be be a long term stick. It might be just short lived. I, I don't even think he's played a game yet. So it'd be really interesting to keep an eye on this. But I think what it tells me right now is that a lot of the hype for the Ducks' young defense goes to Zellweger and Dreistel and Minta Um, Don't overlook Tristan Leno if you've got him in your fantasy league or if he's available at 12%, because I think this is a guy who, despite the odds in the competition, is going to carve himself out a roster spot. And so my verdict on whether or not he's going to stay or go this year, as I think he's good enough to stay. He's not played a game yet, and I think he's going to return to Gatineau. And play big minutes and should be on the Canadian World Junior roster this season. So I think they're just, they're just enamored with what they see. They really like the prospect. They're going to hold him around for a little while, show him a little bit of what life in the NHL is like, squeeze him into a game or two, certainly less than nine, of course. And then I think he likely returns back to Junior at some point. What do you think, Victor? Do you agree or disagree? Does he stay or does he go?
0: Yeah, I think he goes. I think that he is someone who it's helpful to kind of stick around training camp and and into the season, kind of see the operation, see how guys prepare. All that stuff is really helpful for these young players, I'm sure. And so I think that's a big part of it. He's getting reps with the team in practice, learning from the older vets, all that kind of stuff. But yeah, I think he's going to go back. He is a January 12th birthday, so he cannot be assigned to the AHL. That would be another option, but not for him. So he's got he's going to go back and tear it up in junior and yeah I agree he's one of he's a high end prospect I have him on my personal ranks at at 36 in terms of all defense and and it's just not fair the defense have the that the ducks have <laughs> so many good ones but yeah I think Leno it's not quite his time yet it's cool that he made the team and and got to experience some of this but yeah I I would actually be surprised if he even got in a game frankly I think he's probably just going to stick around maybe he'll get a few and then go back but. He is an exciting long term one, although he is kind of blocked by all these great defensemen they have. So that's a good problem to have. In fact, the next guy we're going to talk about is another Duck defenseman. And as you mentioned, Zellweger did not make the team, but Pavel Minchikov did. And that was a bit surprising as these two are separated by one year in their draft eligible or when they were drafted minchikov was a 2022 and zellweger 21 but remember that zellweger was extremely young for his draft year and he basically could have been drafted the year before it was only a few days on one on the on the other side of that so he's really young for his draft year and minchikov is really old for his draft year he's born in november and so that might have helped minchikov a little bit he's also six to 192 pounds is minchikov so the size is not an issue like it is for Zellweger. He's 35% rostered. On our DPR organizational ranks, we had Minchikov third on the Ducks on the Ducks depth chart. So that's pretty darn good. And as we're recording this, uh, as yeah, as we're recording this, he got his first goal yesterday in his second game, and it was really nice. He's looking good. This 19-year-old is getting the fourth most time on ice of all the Duck defensemen, which is pretty impressive. He's ahead of Radko Gudas and Ilya Labushkin. He'll turn 20 in November, and so, as I mentioned, a bit old for his draft class. That's probably helping him a little bit, a little bit more physically mature. And he's proving that he's pretty ready. I mean, in his in those two games, small sample size, he's seventh on the Ducks in individual go- expected goals overall, like of all skaters, so ahead of many forwards. That's pretty good. I think he might actually stick around, but I kind of feel like the best thing for Menchikov is to go down to the AHL and pay and play kind of half season in each, you know, maybe half NHL, half AHL. He can maybe trade off a little bit with Zellweger. I think it'd be good for them to get, to both get some NHL action and some AHL reps, which they are both eligible to do now. And so that's kind of what I would guess. I think the verdict for me is he's good enough to stay, but he probably goes to the AHL and then maybe comes back a little bit later after the nine game. So, that's my take on Minchikov. I like, I, I like both these guys, Minchikov and Zellweger. And I would like to not have to choose between the two. But right now, Minchikov is getting the opportunity. So what do you think about that? Pete? Yeah, I was, uh, I was mistaken then. I thought because
1: he's 19, he was junior or NHL. But if he's played four seasons of junior already, then then yeah, he's good to go in the American Hockey League.
0: Well, it's actually the, they have to turn 20 by December 15th and he will. So that's the cutoff for Minchikov. So he barely makes it. He is AHL eligible. All right.
1: Well then, then that certainly changes that dynamic there, right? I mean, he, you can, he's waiver exempt, so he can move up and down as many times as, as the ducks, please. They can send him back and forth. They can alternate between him and Zellweger and anyone else they choose. That's in the American hockey league. So I think you'll see, uh, I wouldn't be surprised then, actually, if you saw a, a steady rotation where they all got a week or two here and there and, and then more minutes in the American Hockey League and then a reward with a call up. Kind of like what Ottawa did with uh, a lot of their players uh, a year or two ago where they had, you know, their their prospects were their prospect pool was deeper than it is now. They've all graduated for the most part. But when the Sens had a lot of prospects, they were rotating them up and down on a regular basis through Belleville. Um, in San Diego and Anaheim, I think they're ge- you'd know better than me living in California. They're geographically pretty close, right? That's like a cab ride or a bus ride away.
0: San Diego and Anaheim, yeah, a
1: couple hours. Yeah, close, right? Belleville and Ottawa are about three hours, so it's close, close enough. No borders, Easy, or anything right. like that. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. All right, so yeah, I think we've we've covered the Ducks' defense situation. Let's talk uh, Boston Bruins. Matthew Poitras or however you pronounce his name, I'm not sure if I got that right. I think this guy is arguably the biggest surprise on the list we'll talk about today. I didn't see this one coming. He was, however, ranked third overall on the Dopper Prospects organizational rankings on the consensus list behind Fabian Lysel and Mason Lurie. He is only 25% fan rostered, uh, but I suspect that that number is going to be increasing. It's probably gone up since I did my research for this show yesterday. Uh, he had his OHL rookie season wiped out by, by COVID, so he missed an entire year of of development there. His first season, he scored 50 in 68 games, which was his rookie season, I guess, uh, and also his draft year. And he was selected 54th overall in the second round by the Bruins. Last year, his D-plus-1 season, as an OHL sophomore, he kind of had a bit of a breakout, 95 points in 63 games checking notes yes confirm that is that is good that's impressive i think his resume is solid but what it lacks is international experience which i think may have kept him under the radar for a lot of people right no one's outside of guelph or ontario has maybe heard of of this guy except for maybe bruins prospects fans because he's never played for canada internationally at at any tournament really of of, of note um his NHL preseason was really impressive by all accounts. I, I didn't personally see any games, but uh, a lot of people were raving about him. And he's made the team to start the uh, the season. And he's on the third line, centering a line between Trent Frederick and Morgan Geeky. Uh, last time I checked, I'm not sure if they're played yesterday or today, but that's who we played with in the two games that he's played so far. So you got Bergeron and Krejci both retiring, very well documented, which really opens the door for other players. Pavel Zaka, uh, I think, is the one on the top of everyone's mind of players who are going to seize the opportunity. But, I mean, he moves up the depth chart, and that opens up positions lower down. And Matthew Poitra has really risen to the occasion and stepped through that open door quite nicely. Um, The two games that he's played so far, he has one assist, but zero hits or blocks. Good face-offs, though. Seven for seven, 50% on face-offs. Not bad for a 19-year-old in the National Hockey League, I must say. So, the verdict on Matthew Poitras, I think, is ultimately, I think he's going to go back to Guelph for his final season of development in the Ontario Hockey League. He's really boosted his upside and his fantasy value like through the roof with this performance. And maybe this is a, a good opportunity for a sell high. I think, you know, that's kind of making me remember another Bruins prospect that, that did a very similar thing and really. His trade value exploded, and that was Jack Studnika, and you know it didn't really pan out for him. But he had his 19-year-old season. He made the camp, played a couple games, and then got back, sent back, but never really capitalized on on that on that early flash of of success and promise. So I'm not saying that's going to happen with Matthew Quadra, but you know just kind of keep your expectations in check and and use that Jack Studnika lesson as. um as a guard. Uh, so I think he goes back. Victor, what say you?
0: Well, I don't know, obviously. Neither one of us know. but And I don't remember this Stagnika context. I mean, it was different, obviously, because Krejci and Bergeron were there. So obviously, probably different situation. But what I will say about Poitras, and I'm realizing now I've never said his name out loud, so I have no idea if that's right or not. I haven't heard <laughs> it said either. But he has been incredible. He has looked really good, and if I if you look at some underlying metrics like natural statric has individual expected goals for, he is currently seventh on the Bruins behind some usual names, you know like Marchand and Debrusque and Pasternak, but Poitras is right there. So I don't know, might he actually stay? I think there's a decent chance. Actually, in practice, as we're recording this, he's been lining up with Marchand and Geeky. So, I mean, I'm sure this situation is fluid and they could move things around. Is he already better than Charlie Coyle? I mean, I don't think so, right? But maybe they like him enough to keep him and they don't really have great options. I mean, what are their other options? You know, John Beecher, who, you know, is probably a reasonable bottom six or fourth line center. But, you know, Frederick can play down the middle. I guess Geeky can. Like, they don't have a ton of great options, though. So I think it's possible that Poitras might stay. And, you know, and, and it might be one of their best options. So really don't know about that one. But I think there's a there's a decent chance he stays just because they don't have a lot of better options. And he's actually doing really well. So there you go. I don't know that the upside is huge, but if you're playing with Marshawn. You don't need to be that amazing yourself. You you can just defer to to him. We'll have to see how that one goes. The next one that we're going to talk about is some guy probably no one has ever heard of named Logan Cooley. And Cooley, pretty high roster ship, 83% on fan tracks, ranked first on the Coyotes depth chart for the DP or R ranks, 5'10", 174 pound, third overall in 2022. And in a redraft, probably goes a bit higher. We talked about how he had a monster season in college, and now we don't have to focus on his college play because he's got actual NHL games. And he did have some pretty amazing preseason games. We did talk about that previously. But two assists in his first game, not bad. 164-point pace, I'm sure that's going to sustain. But I think some underlyings that are more interesting is that Cooley had the fourth most time on ice of any Coyote. No one expected him to play more than Schmaltz or Keller, and we kind of figured that Hayden would be there. And that's basically who's ahead of him. He played mostly with Zucker and Kerfoot, which is not that exciting. Obviously, you want him to play with Schmaltz and Keller. And I, I think that he will eventually win that spot away from hayden i think he does it this year actually so obviously that's pretty exciting but for now at least if you can get on that power play which he has been he's been the fourth forward with those other three on the top power play and that's pretty exciting because he can get some some power play points both of those assists so far were on the power play he's looking really good i think he sticks around i think he's actually pretty uh, pretty rosterable in a lot of formats, even redraft leagues. I mean, obviously we know about him in Dynasty, but I think that he might actually, you know, be good for 50 to 60 point pace, maybe more if you can stick with Schmaltz and, and Keller. And so I think he's sticking. I don't think he's going anywhere. Logan Cooley's awesome. What do you think, Pete?
1: I think you're right. Uh, I mean, you don't come out of college and sign a, a contract when you're, when you're Logan Cooley to, to play in the American Hockey League. I think they made a, a promise to him that he'll make the roster, and uh, I think of all the players we're going to talk about tonight, he's the most slam dunk out of out of all the players to to make it. So I agree, Logan Cooley is full time NHLer. Next guy we should talk about though is only 45 percent tracks rostered. That would be Calgary Flames Matthew Coronado. He's ranked second on our organizational rankings for Flames, right behind Dustin Wolf. He signed out of Harvard after his sophomore season last year, and he got to play in one game with the Flames at the end of the season. Uh, he's has skipped the American Hockey League and made the Flames as a rookie in his first year as a pro. He's got one goal in two games. I think part of what's helped get him onto the roster is after the season last year, he had his little cup of coffee in the NHL. He went along and played in the World Championship as well. Ten games there in a, in a pro tournament, um, and last year, last year in Harvard, he had a pretty great season too. Twenty goals and thirty-six points in thirty-four games, and then eight more points in ten games at the World Championship. Like I said, uh, he scored a nice goal already this season. Uh, they showed the highlight on on Hockey Night in Canada intermission on Saturday night, so I got to see that. It was a nice little. Uh, a little Ovechkin style for a one-timer from off to the side of the goal. And he's going to score a lot of goals like that. And I think we've talked about Coronado on some previous episodes, Victor, where with the new the new coach from the kind of the new regime in, in Calgary, new GM and all that, I think kids are going to get a chance. So this is a, a good sign that he's made the roster to start the season and he's got a goal already in a couple of games. I think it's going to have to keep an eye on him. He's got to maintain that. And I, I believe he can. And I think he's going to stay and and be a regular top nine, maybe not top six in his rookie season, but I think top six is his ultimate destination in Calgary. Uh, and then he's full-time to stay this year. I think he's going to flirt with maybe 20 goals. What do you think? Can he do that?
0: Yeah, I think so. I, I love Coronado. and And yeah, that right. production in college has been amazing. I think the other thing he really has going for him is that there aren't a lot of great options on the right side in Calgary. He's not taking Huberto's spot. And they have decent left-wingers. I mean, Mangiapane can play either side. And, you know, Dubé. Those are really his main competition. You know, Rizika, Coleman, and those are really probably more middle six to bottom six guys. Walker Dewar sometimes gets some play on the top. But I think that Coronado could push his way to the top or at least top six because he plays a position that is a little bit scarce, and he's been shown to be pretty good. He's really fast. He's also pretty decent, you know, responsibly defensive, defensively. All of those things should help. So yeah, I really. It seems like they're going to give him an opportunity, and I think that he can that he can win it. You know, and, and what I've seen from the eye test too, he he creates chances. You know, he's not just out there. He's certainly not, wowed by the moment or anything like that. So he's, I think he could be really good. I also think he should stay. And if he needs to, though, he could go to the AHL, and that is something that they might give him at some point, just, you know, get his confidence, get his, get him some playing time. Right now, he's only playing 11 minutes. So maybe they get him, you know, to the AHL so he can play 18-plus minutes kind of thing. So that's possible. But I think he should play most of the games. In the Light the lamp with DraftKings Sportsbook.
1: Right now, new customers can make a $5 bet and score $150 in bonus bets instantly. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and sign up with code
0: THPN. That's code THPN only at DraftKings Sportsbook. All right, let's move on to the next guy, Thomas Bortolo, San Jose Sharks. He's 25% rostered and ranked second on the Sharks' depth chart on the DPOR ranks, 5'10", 175 pounds. We knew the Sharks would have to scratch some NHLers for Bortolo to get in the lineup. And that's basically what happened. They scratched LeBanc. Couture is also injured. I was lucky enough on a couple days ago to take in a game live. One of my buddies had some fourth row seats available that he offered to me for free. That was pretty awesome. So I got to see them up close and personal. I will say I was pretty impressed with Bortolo. You know, he's a smaller guy. He's never been that physical, but I think he really absorbed the physicality well. He was tough. You know, he went into the dirty areas. He won puck battles. I think that was that was pretty impressive. He also took a pretty questionable hit. Someone hit him against the open door on the bench. Uh, that would have had me out for months, Pete. <laughs> and he, he missed a shift, and then he was right back out there. Tough, tough guy, you know. And so I think that's important. That's always been an issue for him, is is he going to be physical and strong enough to play against some of these top forwards? And they were playing the Avalanche, who, you know, Really good team, obviously. So he was great. He was creative. He set up a ton of chances. He he and Eklund combined, almost combined for two or three goals. He was impressive. None of them went in, but but he was creating a lot and that was great. I think Bordalo also has more offensive pop than some people may realize. So I think that that's, that's a good thing for him. And I think that the other thing that might help Bordalo is that he's not really eligible for the nine game slide anymore. So he can get sent down to the AHL, you know, he's minors exempt and all that, but they don't have an incentive to just, you know, play nine games and then, and then move him down. So I think he might play a good number of games in the NHL this season. I think it's going to be interesting when Couture comes back because right now the sharks, you know, even though they, they don't look like such a good team, they do have some decent centers down the middle with hurdle. And when Couture is there, but, uh, and they have Sturm and, and, you know, Pedersen and some other guys, but I think Bordalo should, should be good enough to be a third-line center, but obviously you want him in the top six and playing with someone like Eklund or Hoffman or, you know, Duclair or someone like that. I think that he probably goes and plays some more AHL time though. Once Couture is back, that's my prediction that he'll get some more time there. But if they have an injury to a forward, or if he just continues to play well and actually put up points, then maybe he'll stick around. So I think he'll play probably most of the games in the AHL, but he'll get a pretty decent run. And then the NHL. What do you think about Bordelo? I'm still
1: thinking about getting the,
0: the door. It makes me want to call in sick
1: just thinking about it, and that, that would be that would be the end of the line for me, my friend. There'd be no coming back from that. Um, back to Bordalo though. I think, um, I think what would be best for his development would be wherever he can get the most ice time, and if that's a top six role in San Jose all season, then then go for it. Uh, but if he is relegated below the top six and, uh, you know, I think with a player of his age and his, his skill set, you really want to try and see if you can develop a first line player here. Right. And having him play bottom line minutes in the NHL, I, I'm not sure that's the way to do it. Right. Let him, let him get all the offensive zone starts for a year in the American hockey league and let him be the, the offensive catalyst with the Barracuda and, and really drive the engine there and, and take a leadership role, be counted on, um, and then bring him up to the NHL after he's got you know, 60 to 100 American Hockey League games under his belt and uh, and then round out the other parts of his game and, and see if he can develop a first-line player that way. So I think it has a lot to do with what are the San Jose Sharks' expectations for their season, how do injuries play out, There's a lot of factors here. I think this one is is kind of on the fence for me. I think 25% fan tracks roster ships way too low. But yeah, I I would,
0: I wouldn't be surprised if this went either way, to be honest with you, Victor. I would just jump in and say that the atmosphere at the shark tank was insane. I think the fans think that they're going to be good. I don't think they're going to be good, but they played the Colorado avalanche. They were up one, nothing until like a minute and a half left in the game. So you know, Mackenzie Blackwood was amazing and they might think that they're better than they are. And if that is true, then maybe if he's part of that, then maybe he can continues to get a run. Yeah. I think you're right. It really does depend on how the team is going and that might, that might play into it. I really think that they are going to fall off and be not good, but you know, as long as this, this belief <laughs> kind of sustains, then, then maybe it'll maybe it'll help Bortolo. You never know. So the next guy is a player I watched, on TV.
1: Unfortunately, I wasn't live at the Minnesota game, but uh, Brock Faber of the Minnesota Wild, very impressed with what I saw from, from him. He's 34% fan tracks rostered, and he was ranked 6th on the DPR organizational rankings for Minnesota behind Jesper Wallstadt, Marco Rossi. Marco Rossi also looked great, by the way. Kaelin Addison, Daniel Yurov, and Liam Moogren. So we had him kind of buried a little bit Um, I looked at my rankings to see if I had him ranked higher than, than six. And I I did, but only, only one high rank higher and I'm pretty high on Brock Faber. So, uh, let's see. He had uh, two games in the NHL last year after he came out of, out of college playing for Minnesota, uh, zero points in those two games. And this year he's got a goal and assist three shots on goal, three hits, three blocks, and he's playing almost 23 minutes a night. With the Minnesota Wild. He's a 6'1, 200-plus pound right shot defender. He oozes confidence on both sides of the puck. What's interesting about that is I feel he's been labeled as a defensive defenseman. Better player for NHL than he is for fantasy. And I've never really fully agreed with that. I think there's, you know, there's a modicum of truth to that, that he's you know, sure he's no Lane Hudson. He's not an offensive juggernaut like that. But he is a top-pairing NHL defenseman right now, in my opinion. And I think the the minutes played he's going to get a night isn't really going to go down very much over the course of his career. So he's a guy that's going to get a lot of minutes. And while he might not be scoring you know, 20 goals and, and 50 points in his season as a defenseman, he might flirt with 10 goals and maybe 40 points, and he'll have plenty of other peripheral stats to round out his game as well. So for me, uh, the verdict on this one is I, I think he stays. And outside of Logan Cooley, I think he's the next most easy person to predict if they stay or go on, on the conversations we're going to have tonight. I think he becomes an elite NHL player and a star fantasy bangers defenseman on a cheap ELC contract by the time the season's over. Am I a little
0: overzealous here or what? Can you cool me down? <laughs> Uh, it's going to be hard for me to cool anyone down on Brock Faber hype because I love, love Brock Faber. He is so good. I, I, the one thing I might push back a little bit on is that the peripherals are just not there. And I, you know, three hits and three blocks and three shots in two games. So, you know, it's not nothing. And he's playing almost 23 minutes a night. So I'm totally on board with him being practically a top pairing defenseman already like he's literally one of their best defensemen already like there's no question about that i definitely agree he's not going anywhere the thing about about, about Faber though that, that i've always noticed is that he doesn't have to hit or block or do those things because he usually breaks up the play before it gets into the zone he doesn't have to hit somebody because he steals the puck from you like he just does all the things that are good in real life sort of like heiskanen although heiskanen has done better with the peripheral coverage lately but guys like that that are just so good they don't rack up as many counting stats because they're just actually, they have the puck and they just take it away from you and go down. And yeah, but I think the scoring can definitely be there. Like you you saw that. He created chances. He makes brilliant passes. He's just a phenomenal defenseman. And yeah, I think he's going to get all the minutes. I think it's even possible that he runs the power play there. You,
1: you know who I just thought of the when you described how Brock Favor plays? Nick Lidstrom. You just mm. described the way Nick Lidstrom used to play. Now nah, I'm not saying Brock Faber is going to win five consecutive Norris trophies or whatever bonkers record Listram had. He's not one of the all-time greatest defensemen in the history of the game, I don't think. But
0: in the same breath, that's pretty good, right? I heard you say five consecutive Norris trophies, so we'll we'll just uh, we'll just put a put a pin in that. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, some of these defensemen are just are 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 too good for fantasy, right? I mean, like. I think a classic opposite example is Darnell Nurse, who is not a bad defenseman, but he sometimes gets caught a little flat footed or, you know, he needs to rely on his physicality and blocking shots because he isn't always good at driving the play in the other direction. He is pretty good at it, but he's not as good as some. And so but that's better for fantasy because he racks up those counting stats a little bit better. Uh, so anyways i think faber is awesome but i don't know that he's gonna have the peripheral floor that some other ones have so it might be just a little frustrating because he won't necessarily get as many bash hit blocks and shots but i love him and he's great and who's who's gonna be the power play defenseman you know i mean obviously i think addison is, is the one who's there but you know also addison is frustrating to the coaches and i always think about that too it's like there is no fris- there's going to be no frustration with Brock Faber, right? There's going to be none of that. Like I'm worried about putting you out there because we might get scored on. Like that doesn't happen. Like the coach, that is not going to cross his mind. Like you're going to put Brock Faber out there in any situation. Whereas Addison, you might be like, eh, yeah, was,
1: Faber was driving the play for Minnesota in that game from the back end. He was carrying pucks up the up the boards there and and driving the net like a power winger. So I was really impressed with what I saw.
0: He's great. Let's move on to the next guy. So Willie Eklund is the next guy. And yes, I kind of alluded to this already. I saw him live as well. And he's 49% rostered on fan tracks. So uh, interesting, you know, basically double the amount of rostership for Eklund and Bordelo. And uh, just, to, just to put it out there first, I kind of think they're more similar than people want to believe. He was first on our Sharks organizational rank with Bordelo being second. They're the same height and weight, by the way, 5'10", 175 pounds. There's some differences though. William Eklund is definitely a winger in my opinion. Borlo is definitely a center. Eklund is way faster than Borlo. Borlo definitely has foot speed issues and they both have kind of that physicality that's a bit of a question mark. But Eklund will probably get more gold. He's been known as more of a goal, of a playmaker, but he gets himself in good positions to to shoot and he's been doing more of that lately scoring. And he was really good last season on a very bad Barracuda team. Getting close to matching his goals to assist where before he was always been a little bit more assist heavy. So you like that. And at wing, I think it's easier for him to stay than Bordelow, right? It's a little bit easier to move to the wing and, you know, stay in the NHL lineup. I think he's more NHL ready. He's also a year older. And it doesn't matter with the nine game slide for Eklund either. So I think that William Eklund stays. I think he's more likely to play the entire season, if not the vast majority of the season in the NHL. And I think that he can probably get somewhere close to a 50-point pace, although I think the production is just capped by the Turks and how bad they're going to be. So that's kind of what I think about Eklund. What do you think, Pete?
1: Well, I'm a little disappointed because, quite frankly, I want to disagree and have some argument and banter with you. But um, yeah, I think you're bang on with your assessment on on Eklund here, Victor. I got to say, I think he's got the advantages of being a year older, more mature, and the positional um, favoritism with breaking into the NHL on the wing is, is certainly easier than does the center. In fact, a lot of centers break into the NHL on the wing where there's less responsibility for them and they can adapt to the pace and and speed and physicality and and mentality of the National Hockey League uh, and then, you know, get, get their feet wet on the wing and then move to center if, uh, if they acclimate well. And so Eklund being a, a winger, obviously that's. That's the plan for him. Yeah, I think I think now is the time for Eckland. I think it's, it's now or never, never. If he doesn't make the team this year, it's a really bad sign for his long term projection. And I believe that he's he's gonna make the team. I've I've never really been a big doubter in him. I just thought that he would take some time, and it's been some time since his draft now. And so now I think it's it's time to go. So I think he stays, even if he doesn't produce well. I think San Jose will will just bite the bullet and say, look. Sink or swim, figure it out, and we'll reassess next season if it's, if it's good or bad. So I think he makes it. Let's keep this train rolling. That's another surprise guy, and one that I think is going to be a little bit difficult to pin if he's going to stay or go. So this should be fun. Will Cooley, New York Rangers. He is only 10% fan tracks rostered. He is a left winger for the New York Rangers, ranked uh, fourth. Overall, on the Rangers depth chart on the Dauber Prospects OR rankings comes in behind Brennan Offman, Zach Jones and Adams to I think he's a big surprise to make the team this year. He had a four game cup of coffee in the NHL last year, however. So this is not his first sniff of NHL action. Uh, He didn't score any points in those four games and he played the full season pretty much in the American Hockey League last season as a as a rookie pro scoring 45 points in 69 games. Which is good. Not great, but good. And he had 59 penalty minutes to go along with that. Of his 49 points, 25 of those were goals. Well, so 25 goals as a rookie in the American Hockey League is pretty good. He scored his first career NHL goal this season. He's got two games under his belt so far in those games. He's also got four shots and six hits in the 1344 of time on ice that he has played. He brings some physicality to the game. He has an average of uh, 0.91 hits per game last season. And uh, right now he's actually playing on, I think on the right wing on the third line with, with Trocheck and Wheeler. So he's got some good opportunity with those line mates right there. Uh, Wheeler's a little, a little gray in the beard, but, but I think he's still got game. So for me, I think this is a bit of a surprise, but I think he's played his way onto the roster and the physicality that he brings I think is a is a, a flare and an element that the Rangers are are really looking for. So my verdict is I think Cooley's gonna stick on on the roster. And I think he's gonna flirt with 30 points and have like a hundred plus hits by the time the season's over. So that 10% Fanjax roster ship, I believe, is going to spike after he uh gets through a couple of games and maybe scores another goal, has a bunch of shots, has a bunch of hits. People will be sorting out uh, minor eligible players on their, their fan tracks players available list and sorting it by that, those categories he should be pretty high near the top of a lot of people's list and I think he'd be a really good uh, waiver wire for a lot of teams
0: uh, right or wrong Victor does he stay or does he go yeah I, th- I think you're right I think he does stay and this was maybe a bit surprising I mean he was really good in the AHL last year so maybe we shouldn't be totally surprised but and he's he's a bit older, and he's he's kind of a big dude too, and so I think all those things kind of kind of help him to some extent. And yeah, he's been it's been interesting what what has been happening with the Rangers. It kind of feels like Heedle has just passed Trocheck now, and kind of the the two C and Trocheck's a little bit more of the three C. But I think they're both kind of second line centers basically, right? I mean, it's, it's kind of like they have two second line centers and playing with Wheeler. And, you know, Cooley playing with Wheeler is great. And then they have a clear fourth line with Benino Pitlick and Goudreau. So it's possible he could get, you know, flipped around or move around potentially and play with Hedel Right now it's Panarin and Lafreniere. So, I mean, it seems like he may kind of move around a little bit, but also that's that's been a pretty decent line. And he does bring the physicality. He's got a high floor for those banger stats, which is nice. But, yeah, he's only getting... Sub eleven minutes time on ice, which just might be where that line kind of lands. Like I don't know that that's necessarily him per se. Like that just might be how they are deploying their their team because they definitely give more time to the top line and then second line. So there's pretty clear delineation there. But yeah, I think Cooley might actually just stick, and he seems like one of the better options that they have for what they're asking him to do. So I think I think you're right there. Let's move on to. Probably one of the biggest surprises, I would say, of this early season and preseason. And that is none other than Zach Benson. Benson, 48% rostered on fan tracks. What the heck are you other 52 leagues even doing? I mean, how is Zach Benson <laughs> not rostered? What are you doing, guys? Come on, get with it. And as a reminder, he was taken 13th overall just this past draft was not included in the organizational ranks because we did that earlier. So he wasn't there, but he's five nine, 163 pound left wing. From the moment I stood eye to eye with Benson at the draft, I was impressed with his calm confidence. He didn't have a bravado. He just didn't seem phased by the moment as some of the others. I rode in the elevator up with Nate Danielson and he was clearly nervous. And, you know, not that that's a bad thing. I'd be nervous too. But Benson just seemed to not have any of that bother him. And I think all of that confidence and calmness has carried into his play. I mean, he's looked amazing for an 18-year-old in the NHL. He had a dominant preseason. Someone, I think, forgot to tell him that the games count now, Pete. I think that's what happened. He just didn't realize that these games count now. He's just continuing to play awesome. Uh, It's pretty hard to make the argument that he should go back to the WHL when he's literally been one of the best forwards for the Sabres. I got this from my buddy who runs Sabermetrics over on, on Twitter. Walter Zurowski and literally Zach Benson and the games the Buffalo has played has had the best five on five expected goals for per sixty and expected goals against per sixty. No joke, the best forward on the team both ways. I think he stays. I don't know how you can send him down. There's no good argument, other than you can, that he should go back to the WHL because he's been their best forward. He's not a liability defensively. He's been making some brilliant passes. He knows where to be on the ice. The size hasn't been an issue. You're not seeing him get blown up by hits like Slavkovsky was last year. That just doesn't happen to Zach Benson. He's got his head up. He knows where to be. He knows where everyone else is. He's staying, Pete. And I think he finished his top five in Calder voting. What do you think?
1: Well, again, I want to argue with you. but And, you know, a guy that was just drafted and not even drafted in the top, like, ten. There's a there's a good argument there to say that of course he goes back to junior, but I just saw an interview with the Sabres coach pass through my Twitter feed that um, Joel Henderson posted, and the coach was saying things like, you know, yes, he's he's a very gifted offensive player, and offensively he's good enough to play on our team right now, but 19 year olds usually have some difficulty without the puck and getting the puck back. This guy just forces turnovers. He forces guys. To cough it up and make bad decisions and you know maybe he's he's 5'9 163 so he's gotta you know go back and get bigger and, and stronger and, and bulk up a little bit well the coach said that's not a problem that he's addressed that too and that he plays with a little bit of jam and so he's addressed all of the concerns that teams typically have with players whether or not they're going to make the roster and he just keeps impacting the game in a positive manner for the team that he's playing for and I think he's going to make a lot of really good impressions on the team he's playing for this season in the NHL with Buffalo. I think I think he's made the team. I don't think they have any designs of, of scratching him or, or sitting him out or this nine game thing. I think he is. I think he's on the roster and they're counting him as a core member of, of the team right now. So, yeah, I think he's uh, I think he's a caller candidate also. And if Bedard gets injured. Logan Cooley should be looking over his shoulder for his top competition. Could be Zach Benson.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: All right. Couple Philadelphia Flyers guys we could talk about here. They're, they're a nice young team. They stuck it up last season, so they got some things to look forward to. Started with Bobby Brink. 13 forwards made the Flyers roster, including Brink and Tyson Forrester. We'll talk about him, too. They're the 12th and 13th forwards on their depth chart. And they're the only waiver-exempt forwards that they have. So if they're planning on sending some guys down, if it's not these guys, someone's got to go through waivers. And they've already done that once with Wade Allison. They put him on waivers to make room for Brink and Forrester, sending a uh, clear message to the team that you got to earn it to to make this team. And and these guys are earning it, and Wade Allison did not. So Brink's got uh, two goals and 28 points as a rookie. In the American Hockey League in forty-one games, that's all right. Played ten games to close out the twenty twenty-two season, but had zero points. So for me, the verdict on on Brink is: I think he's here to stay. He may be a healthy scratch from time to time. They might rotate between Forrester and, and Brink from game to game, but uh, but I think he's going to stick around and play the vast majority of the season in the National Hockey League. They might they might send him down for. Conditioning stints and stuff like that, just to keep him fresh. Give him some, some good minutes in the American Hockey League. And I think the same thing with Forster. He's 42% fan tracks rostered. We had him ranked fifth on the Flyers' OR rankings. He had seven points in eight games in his cup of coffee with the team last year. I'll say that again. Seven points in eight games. Saturday was his first game of the season, and he had an assist. So for me, the verdict is both these guys stay. I think they're gonna keep them both and rotate the man out of the roster throughout the
0: season. What do you think, Victor? Well, I definitely think Forrester is sticking around. Um, I, I'm not sure. The 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 issue with Brink has always been that he's tiny. He's five foot eight and he has kind of struggled. You know, I think well actually he hasn't struggled, but I you worry that that's the that's the issue, right? That he might struggle to, you know, the physicality and all that. But he has actually done pretty well considering all things considering with with that Forster yeah I was really impressed with how he started last season and so far he has gotten the better opportunity he has 16 minutes time on ice with nearly six minutes on the power play in that one game I don't know what was going on that game they must have had an eternity on the power play but um he did pretty well there so yeah I think that it's gonna be interesting uh, to see Brink certainly played less time he was on the 13-minute mark and, and less power play time. So I kind of feel like it's probably more likely Forster to stick around. He's, you know, bigger and he's not older, but he seems to be on a better trajectory. So I think that you're right. They might kind of flip back and forth, but I think that if I'd had to pick one, it would definitely be Forster. And Brink, I think, might continue to get some looks here and there, depending on, you know, what's going on with the rest of the team and injuries. But I put my money on Forster. I think he can, I think he can have a pretty productive season, actually. And they're they're showing that they're trusting him with the time on ice, already, which you which you like to see, and it's really important for these young guys. Hard to predict with Tortorella, though, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And and that's the thing. Like, I mean, Brink is always has the effort, you know. So he's not gonna he's not gonna slack, but but uh, he just might not have the physicality. Forster has always been more of an offensive guy. But I think he's been he's shown that he's been a little bit better. But when I'm looking at the play driving stats, Tyson Forster was literally the worst skater for Philly in that first game. So that doesn't sound good. <laughs> I'm sure Torol is gonna be really unhappy about that. So could be a volatile situation for sure. Let's talk about the next guy, which is also a flyer, and but this is a defenseman. This is Emil Andre. He's 12% roster on fan tracks, which seems really low. So he was third on the DPR organizational ranks for the Flyers, which personally I think is wild because Cam York was ranked seventh. And I don't agree with that order at all. I would definitely have York ahead of Andre, but that's not what we're talking about here. (laughs) Um, York definitely is on the team and running the power play. So for what it's worth. Anyways, Andre, 5'9", 181 pound defenseman so that's always part of the story but the thing is like he does not play as a five foot nine defenseman he plays tough he's been playing professionally basically since he was drafted he's been either in the hockey skin or the shl where he was in the AHL a little bit last year but he's been playing professional hockey basically since being drafted which is really impressive in 2020 he was a second round pick 181 pounds so he's not like you know that's that's pretty stout for a five nine guy and he doesn't play small at all the blue line on Philly is not necessarily like the tallest mound to climb in terms of passing people. And aside from York, Travis Seinhaim, Travis Steinheim, I don't think there's a whole lot of, of difficulty passing guys like Mark Dahl, Sean Walker, Nick Seeler, no offense to those guys. He could pass them, but I'm also not sure that he will because he played 10 games in the AHL last season. And, you know, he probably will just go down there and get more time, get accustomed to the North American game and potentially be a little bit more impactful. He had six points in those 10 games, though, so that was looking pretty good. He also got pretty well caved in during his first game. I mentioned that Forster was pretty bad. Well, Emil Andre was the next worst. (laughs) So both of those guys didn't do so well. I mean, it's one game, so no, not going to read too much into that, but I think that Emil Andre, as much as I like him, and I think he has some pretty decent upside, I think he goes down to the AHL, and it's not quite his time yet. That's my prediction. But, you know, maybe he gets some time, calls up here and there, maybe towards the end of the season. What do you think, Pete? Emil Andre or Cam York? Who do you like better?
1: Well, Cam York all day long. Uh, Long term, that might be a different story. So for me with Andre, I think his competition is also Igor Zamula. Both of those guys are waiver exempt, right? So they're, they're filing to stay in the NHL. And they've got these other guys who are under NHL contracts for ice time. They want to get the NHL guys <clears throat> eating popcorn in the press box, but um, it certainly would be easier if those guys played well, and then the Flyers could send these guys back to the American Hockey League. But Zamula is not actually waiver exempt, so he would have to go through waivers to stay. So that that's another challenge for for Emil Andre. And as a Zamula owner in, in most of my fantasy leagues, I really hope Zamula is the guy that, that gets the games this year because of that. But honestly. I think Andre is the, is the better play. I think he's the better player. And I, I, I'd make that trade today if anyone wanted to offer it to me. Uh, so another defenseman I think we should talk about here, Victor, is Scott Perunovich. We've spent a lot of time talking about Perunovich on this podcast and episodes going back a few years now. He has been a really interesting prospect to track. He is, his roster ship, I believe, is going down. It's only 35% right now. And he was the second-ranked Blues prospect behind Jimmy snugger They got 8D on the roster right now in St. Louis, and Scott Perunovich and Tyler Tucker are the seven-eighth and Ds. And he, he's been a scratch after two games, still waiting to get his debut this season. He no longer has waiver exemption, and he would certainly be claimed if the Blues put him on waivers, in my opinion. The average age of the Blues... Defense right now is 30 years old. So for hockey terms, that's that's a little gray in the beard. And there's going to be injuries, and he will get his chance. I think the key for Perunovic this season will be to avoid injuries himself. Injuries have really plagued his career and his development. And quite frankly, the damage might already be done there. But we'll see. If he can stay healthy this year, an opportunity will present itself. The Blues could also make a trade. I'm of under the understanding that they've been shopping Tori Krug for a while now to try and open up some cap space and a roster spot, probably not too specifically for Scott Perunovic. So for me, the verdict here, the only question is, I think he makes the roster. The only question is, can he stay healthy? He's got those wonky shoulders. He's had, I think, three shoulder surgeries, uh, two on one side and one on the other, if I'm not mistaken. So if he's healthy, I think he's going to stick around for a full season and be a top four. Power play quarterback by the end of the season. What do you think, Victor? Do you like Prunovich as much as I do? Or do you think not so much?
0: Oh, no, I really like Prunovich. And yeah, I, I think that you're right. They need to get Krug really out of town in order for him to have the opportunity. They're They're actually kind of a very similar player. They're both small. They're both offensive. They're both not great defensively, but sort of passable if they're with the right partner. Yeah. And yeah, they're basically I mean no players are identical but there's they're they would fill a similar role and I think that's been the biggest issue for Prunervich is like can you have two Tory Krugs in the lineup? The Blues so far have said no. <laughs> that's not what they want. So if they can, you know, move him and I know that there's some issues with with moving Krug and it sounds like he doesn't want to go anywhere and so that's, you know, as you get older and, and you put that in your contracts, you have some say in where you go and so that's been his prerogative too. Lay down the law with that. So we'll have to see. I do think that someone would claim it. I think if he went elsewhere, he could be pretty could be really, really good. So I'm still high on him. I think that if he ever gets the opportunity, he could just run with it and be really good. So, but we have to wait, we have to wait and see if that ever happens. Because at this point, it's seeming less and less likely. And he has really had struggled to stay in the lineup. He is smaller and He kind of seems, you know, it gets banged around and gets injured. That's been a a pretty consistent theme for Prunovic, and so that's the other question: is is if he gets the opportunity and does well, can he? Can his body actually sustain? Can he hold up? I have questions about that, but I think the talent is clearly there. All right, my next guy, my last guy, actually is Alexandra Texier, and fun fact: one of the few actual Frenchmen. A lot of these players are French-Canadian, but he's actually French from France. Wait. And people probably forgot about Texier because he didn't play last season. And he's 12% rostered, not ranked on the Blues depth chart. I think people well, I think people weren't necessarily sure what was happening with him because he had been out of the league. He's 6'1", 194-pound left wing. I, I'm, This is your public service announcement. Alexander Texier exists. You should remember him. He went back to France and missed all of last season. He also has played parts of six seasons now in the NHL, which is crazy to believe. He's 24 years old. He just turned 24 in September. And you probably should know about him. He is getting, although he's pointless right now in his three games, he has been playing with Patrick Laine and Adam Fantilli. That's a that's pretty nice deployment, even if Fantilli hasn't done much. But that's what you want. That's what you want. And they've actually, uh, he's held that deployment despite not scoring a lot. And they would have to put him through waivers if they wanted to send him to the AHL. But, you know, I think he's doing fine enough. They've just gotten a bit unlucky. His best point pace was 46 points, uh, a 46-point pace. And I think he could best that this season. He's already getting, by far, the most time on ice that he's ever gotten. He's up to, uh, well, actually, this last game, this was more impactful before he played his last game because he was up to like 18 minutes but now he's down to just under 16 minutes but he's still getting pretty decent deployment at even strength not a ton of power play time which we would kind of expect so i'm sure that low deployment probably hinged on the team getting more power play time and him not being out there but he's getting decent even strength time on ice and good line mates i think he stays and i think he gets over a 46 point pace what do you think about Texier?
1: Yeah, I, I mentioned right off the top of the episode, the McCain's yearbook. And one of the articles that I wrote was the the late, late, late sleepers. And Alex Tessier made that list. And some of the things I said about him uh, that would make you want to own him is that he had 20 points in 36 games in the last tour of duty with Columbus a couple seasons ago, like you said. And, and since then, he's been productive playing in, in Sweden, 46 games in the Swiss League last year. He's also looked really good at the world championships and the Olympics. Um, and I thought, you know, I said he could be well under the radar, with a lot of GMs, and it easy to step in and be a 30, 40 point player this season. And I think that's gonna be the case. I think that Fantrick's roster ship of 12% is shamefully low. And this is a guy who in the deep leagues, like the people who listen to this, there's a lot of opportunity there. And I think Columbus is gonna be a, an overall better team this year, too. So Kind of like the situation he's in there. The last player I think we should talk about, Victor, is Toronto Maple Leaf prospect Fraser Minton. Another really big surprise player to break camp uh, with the Leafs this season is Fraser Minton. We had him ranked fourth on the consensus rankings on Dauber prospects behind Matthew Nye's, Nick Robertson, and, and Topi Niemela. He's only 18% Fantrax rostered. He's 19 years old, 6'2, 192. I admittedly don't know that that much about this guy, despite the fact that he's a Leaf prospect. But Byron Bader had his player chart for him, and he listed some comparables with names of guys like Corey Perry, David Backus, Clint Coston. That's some that's some pretty good comps right there. And he's been playing on the third line with the Leafs right now between Max Domi and, and Matthew Nyes, giving him some really good quality line mates. And he's been getting some pretty good minutes too. He had zero points in his first two games, and he's getting about 12 minutes, 1246 ice time. Saw some time on the PK. He was an impressive 10 and 9 for 53% on the faceoff with one hit and one block. So for me, the verdict on on Minton is, I think it's a little similar to what we said right off the top with with Poitras. I think it depends on the next few games. He'll, He'll get the nine games. But I kind of suspect that he might be returning back to Loops after those nine games. And uh, we'll see him at the the World Juniors with Canada, perhaps. And hopefully he goes on a a good playoff run in the WHL with whoever he is by the time the season ends. So as excited as I am about Fraser Minton making the Leafs victor, I'm
0: a little skeptical that he's going to stay. What do you think? Yeah, frankly, I was shocked when he did. I was like, really? You know, especially with the way the Maple Leafs tend to wait and kind of, you know, let their prospects marinate and be really, really ready. And they signed, you know, a bunch of pretty decent, you know, bottom to middle six forwards. It seemed like there just wasn't really going to be much space. And then Minton just, you know, I, I don't know. I didn't watch the preseason or, the or you know, wasn't at camp. So apparently he really impressed. Turned some heads. It's funny because I was, when we were drafting our DPR listener leagues clay my co-manager who's there in Kamloops was was lobbying for us to take Minton and I was like oh, I don't know he didn't really have the best season and he was like just watch he's gonna go off this year and I was like all right well you know he's he's gonna be the man in Kamloops uh, okay like sure and then he makes the team and he's playing NHL games and I'm like what the heck like obviously he didn't see that coming no one did but uh, maybe there's more here than we thought. It was it was a really good draft season, maybe a bit step back last season, but maybe there is more here with Minton. And I think I always have a soft spot or I'm pretty open-minded, I guess you could say, to these guys that are really young. And Fraser Minton is extremely young for his draft year. He's a July 5th birthday. And it can just be real. Like, it can just take those guys longer, right? He's not, like, particularly small, but being always many, many months, you know, six to eight months younger than most of your cohort, it matters when you're 15 16 17 you know he's catching up now but that can make a big difference and maybe he's kind of putting it all together so i agree with you though he'll probably go back to camp loops and tear it up and then maybe he comes back mid-season or at the end of the season for the leafs who knows but uh, i do think that he's they're going to use the entry-level slide for him and uh and he's going to go back down but yeah really fun to see and and hope, hope the best for minton yeah, this has been a fun episode. Not enough
1: arguing between the two of us on guys staying or going. We'll have to we'll have to be a little bit more contrary next time. There's a bunch of guys we didn't even talk about either. We're running out of time, but we could have gone on all night long, talked about Connor Bernard, Kevin Korczynski, Adam Fantilli, David Yurichek. I mean, there's a lot of players on. You could pretty much pick one or two off every team, I think, and talk for a long, long time. But thanks for listening to Dopper Prospects Report number 28. For feedback on the show or to chat with us, follow us on Twitter at DPR underscore show at Victor 12 at Sabrin 91 and myself at Farling. Don't forget to follow Net and all the cool podcasts we got cooking there. Please subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify or wherever you're listening to this uh, and give us a five star review, would you? I haven't had one for a few weeks now. I'm starting to feel unloved. So go ahead, share us on Twitter. Give us a five star review. Be a good listener. And in the meantime, keep your sticks on the ice. We'll talk to you next week, everybody. One more Neutrogena tantrum out of you and you're getting the gate, bud. Try me. Let's do that hockey.